so yeah, next Wednesday we will not have Bible study due to the fall rally, um, which I believe is up at St. John's in Effingham. So, ladies, uh, I guess it's too late to sign up now. So if you miss that vote, you miss that vote. I imagine they won't turn you away at the door. <laughs> um, anyway, this week uh, we're going to turn to a, a more, I guess, formally doctrinal topic uh, about what it means for Luther, what, how Lutherans feel about and uh, approach the topic of good works. One of the big reasons, of course, is Lutherans, we're pretty famous for our whole uh, focus on the gospel, right? About how you are forgiven for the sake of Christ alone, on account of grace alone, through faith alone. Um, and of course, that sometimes has led um, people from the outside to say, you Lutherans are really great about talking about grace, but you never really say anything about doing, being good. And there are even Lutherans who get this idea into their head that, uh, you know, since it's all faith alone, I literally have to do nothing. And uh, I'm good no matter what I do, good, bad, or indifferent. So what's the point? Um, so that's what we'll be looking about. I have no idea how long this study will take. There's quite a few things that we're going to touch on as we go through it, even though it's just this one short double-sided page. But uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have made us your children solely out of your grace and goodness and by his work for us. So lead us to praise you in not our, only our hearts, but also with our hands, that all of our lives may be a thanksgiving for the grace you have shown us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's just uh, start off with a more general question. Um, I'm sure you've heard people say something like, well, I'm a good person, right? Or they have a good heart. Uh, I don't think there's too many people you'll come across who will directly tell you, I'm just not a good person, unless... They're having some kind of crisis of conscience or going through a horrible time in their life. By and large, most everybody likes to think of themselves as basically decent, right? And especially that phrase, he has a good heart, is usually something people will apply to somebody who, from the outside, if you didn't know that person, you might wonder what kind, if they're really that decent of a person. Oh, but he has a good heart. Um, Person or not, but she, you know, I mean, she would bring her up quite often. And uh, she'd say, but she, she's such a good person. And I said, well, you know, does she have faith? Is she, you know, is she a Christian? Why? But she's a good person. You know, mm -hmm. that, that was, you know, that's, that's not the, that's not the goal, or that's not the uh, saving thing, the good person. Right. Well, exactly. Um, and that, that gets to the other side of why this is a good topic to talk about because um, either you get the, uh, the rabidly grace alone people who take it probably too far and say, therefore, what do I have to worry about being good, to the other extreme, which is probably a lot more common of, well, you know what, they're a good person, so what else matters, honestly? Which gets us to the first question here. Um, what do we even mean, or what do people even mean when they say that? They're a good person. Depends on what you call good, I guess. <laughs> well, there's there's a very big question. That's really the question. But I, I think a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, they're willing to help out wherever needed, you know, or, you know, help, help people who are kind of 
it a lot is that kind of way like they're they're helpful or at least they're willing to help they'll they'll never say no if you if you go to them um that's one big way i've certainly seen people say well they're a good person interestingly you do see it even when you're talking about people who aren't like that people will still object well they're a good person even if they are very much not very helpful people so what do they mean then good person in, in, in some people's eyes and a terrible person in someone else's eyes. It just depends on what you, what they're doing, that whether you term it good or not. I mean, you could have somebody that, oh, they're helping these people over here, but, but yet you don't agree with what those people are doing. So and in your eyes, well, I don't necessarily think they're such a great person. You know? Right, so right. It's, you know, it's really subjective almost. For sure. And... Uh, that's another good point. So I'll, I'll just to recover a couple of things here. That Irma already raised the point that there are certainly some people mean there's a person who does objectively good things in the sense they're helpful. Everybody appreciates them. Even if you didn't know the person, you saw what they were doing, you'd say that person is a really, uh, I guess, good member of the community. They, everybody could say, okay, they're doing helpful things. That's certainly a big one we mean. Probably, if we really push people, that's what they would come down to saying, that they do objectively good things. Then, um, as Bill points out, but a lot of the time when we're actually using it, what we mean, basically, is I happen to like the person, or I happen to agree with the person. Um, you may have a very different view of what they're doing, what they're like, and think they're just horrible, worthless wastes of spaces. But, you know... I'm friends with them. <laughs> and so that fact alone, that I happen to feel a certain way about them, makes them a good person in my eyes. And so that gets to that same question again. What do you mean good? And what is your basis for deciding what makes a person good? Those are two huge issues. What makes a person good? What do you mean when you say good? And how do you decide? Because like Bill said, a lot of it is very subjective. But as Irma also points out, there's a lot of it that isn't quite so subjective. Most people could point to some people and agree, well, that was a good person. How many people do you think, for instance, would say, Christian or otherwise, Mother Teresa was a horrible human being? <laughs> Her name is synonymous in most people's thinking, even if they don't even know anything about her. It's just so popular, culture-minded, her way of constantly working to help people who are in need. If there's a good person, someone like Mother Teresa, everybody can agree. It's not subjective because everybody agrees. So how do we deal with all of this? Well, let's, let's go back to uh, Bill's first question here. Because that's really the first thing to ask. I've decided from now on I'm going to write and not talk because when I edit this for uh, putting it up, I like to increase the volume so people can hear the discussion and take out dead spaces. I find it's easier if I don't have like a second pause between each word I say while I'm writing. So now I can just ax that whole section out a lot faster. What makes a person good? Well, from a Christian standpoint, 
um, really anyone who believes in God's standpoint, but certainly from a Christian standpoint, there's really two ways of talking about that question. Um, because there's two dimensions to what we're talking about as what makes a person good or bad or when we would consider a person good or bad. There's certainly... Uh, Certainly in our view, that is to say, in the, in the view of us living in this world about what's helpful, what's not helpful, what's um, beneficial, what's harmful to living in this world and to people in it. Basically, you might say, our, uh, in terms of our relationships to one another and how we view the, each other, we can ask that question, right? What makes a person good as far as we human beings are concerned? But of course, there's also a bigger question involved here, if you uh, are a believer in God. Namely, what counts as good in God's view? Now, uh, Irma already kind of touched on this when she was mentioning that person, that uh, little interaction with somebody in her past and the pastor. Um, that uh, the one person in the Bible study would say, "Well, she's a good person." Um, clearly, thinking mainly in terms of, uh, at least by our standards, she's a pretty good person by by in view of our relationship to one another. Maybe she's a helpful person. She goes and volunteers a lot. She always help, lends a helping hand when somebody's in need. She's a good person. But, as the pastor pointed out, just because people would consider her good, does that mean that God would consider her good? Does it actually um, make her good in God's sight? So there's always these two dimensions we want to look at, what we want to bear in mind when we're thinking about um, describing somebody as good. Our relationship with others here in the world on the one hand, and then our relationship with God in the, on the other hand. Now obviously, um, if you're a Christian, the most important one is which? <laughs> you would assume God's view of you. One of the problems about talking with this, as illustrated in that conversation that Irma mentioned, where the lady insisted, well, she's a good person, so she's okay in God's sight, um, and the pastor objected, well, does she have faith, is that we sometimes confuse these two. We act like if somebody is good in our view, that must, of course, mean that that person is good in God's view, as though God has the exact, or at least more or less the same view of what counts as good and what counts as bad as we have. But um, as you probably already know, and as we'll certainly see um, in a moment, God's view of what makes a person good is not even remotely the same as what our view of good is. Or I should say, God's view of what makes a person good includes a lot more than what our estimation of a person being good or bad. Let's, let's just start here, off the top of your head. From a purely human standpoint, in terms of our relationships to each other, what would you say um, makes a person good or would count as something good? I mean, you could throw out countless examples, I'm sure, but throw out a few. Yeah, 
helpful. Okay, I don't think too many people are going to disagree that that's a good rather than a bad thing, right? Anything else? Usually someone that's kind and friendly, you think, oh, that's good. All right, we tend to think of, uh, you might say, their attitude towards others is a very big part of what makes them good or bad. A uh, person may be helpful, but also really nasty. <laughs> Um, or really unpleasant, and we're more likely to call the unhelpful, kind person good than we probably are to call the uh, very helpful but unpleasant person good, right? Not necessarily, but it's just to say kindness and friendliness are a very big part of often what we think of. Anything else? Fair enough. We're just, again, we're just throwing it off the top of our heads. Um, now, of course, we would also say that uh, you would avoid certain things. We could uh, say that, uh, I, just to throw out a few others, and you might notice where I'm pulling some of these from. Just to throw out a couple more traits, honesty we usually value, content, being content, that is um, not always complaining about not having enough or trying to do whatever they need to to get more, um, being respectful usually we consider good on that score. We usually like think that people who need to be somewhat humble and have an appropriate view of their place in the world. Uh, in a very real sense, the reason I wrote these up is, in a, in a certain sense, they kind of line up with those commandments that God lays out about how we're supposed to relate to each other. That second table of the law kind of stuff, where you respect your parents, parents treat, respect your children well, treat them well, do your duty toward them by that uh, same token. We usually insist that being good, being a good person includes being willing to do your duties, the things that required of you to be a useful member of your family, uh, your community, and so forth, right? Um, but we want them to be honest. We don't want them breaking the Eighth Commandment, spreading lies or maliciousness about other people. We want them to be humble, like we said, even if that's not specifically um, a command. It's implied in all of the commandments. Know your place. Live appropriately according to your place. Don't get too big for your britches, right? All of those kinds of things go into it. And uh, like I said here, in our view, usually more or less, when we're talking about objective, everybody could agree, yes, that's a pretty decent person. We're talking about second table of the law kinds of stuff. They're faithful to their spouse. They uh, treat other people with respect. They try to help enrich the physical and emotional and mental well-being of other people. They don't spread rumors, lies, gossip. They don't steal. They're content with what they have. All of those kinds of things that we just take it for granted, there's a good person, are kind of second table of the law stuff, right? Now, is that, shall we say, sufficient to be counted as a good person 
from the one who actually gets to decide whether we're good or not. Um, turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 and 28. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus' teacher. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? How far did you say? 28. Okay. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. All right. So you may recognize this is kind of the preface to that parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, now... <clears throat> It starts with this guy going to Jesus and asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You might even go ahead and turn that into a different kind of question, which is basically the same thing. What would I have to be like in order for God to consider me good enough to live with him forever? That is, how do I know if God is going to consider me to be a good person who he's happy to have around? <laughs> And uh, Jesus says, well, what, what's written in the law? Notice Jesus points to, well, God has already kind of spelled this out, hasn't he? In the law where he lays out, this is what I think is, as your God, um, not just think, but require, as the basis and standard for a good life. By the way, notice Jesus points God as not just a subjective kind of, well, a lot of people seem to think he's a good person, so sure. He go, is instead to the objective standard of this set of laws that God has given. And uh, the guy, as it turns out, gives a good answer about what God considers to be a good person. And what is the answer? Verse 27. All right. Where, by the way, other places, Jesus uh, says this is the summary of the whole law. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Two commands that basically summarize everything else that goes into what counts as a good human life in God's sight. Um, we all, like I said, we often think of this when we're dealing with one another, we're talking about love each other kind of stuff, right? They're a good person because they are loving towards other people, or at least, you know, to a fair number of people. But uh, if that's all that God cares about, just that we're loving towards one another. Okay, that was second. That's, that's, that's <laughs> half of it. You've got to love God first or don't Right. Half, it's only half to love your neighbor as yourself. The other one is you actually also have to love God to be a good person. Um, in God's sight, if we're using the law as the standard, which Jesus says is certainly a valid standard for when you, when you want to know whether you're a good person or not. Um, and that's, that changes the game quite a bit. Because on the one hand... It already brackets out completely everybody who does not love God. Which is to say, people who do not believe in God. 
So already we're saying, in God's views, can a non-Christian be a good person? As far as God is concerned. No. Because while they may be ever so kind to their spouse, maybe ever so good at raising their children, ever so uh, content and humble apparently in life, fact of the matter is they are ignoring three of all of those ten commandments. They are either worshiping an idol and therefore loving somebody else but God. By the way, here's a nice little corollary um, to get this across. Some people say, why would God care about that? As long as he cares, as long as you're a good person to others. Isn't that kind of petty of God? Well, I always like to say, well, let's think about this in terms of our human relationships. Let's pretend that God was your spouse. Would you ever say about a husband who had a wife that, sure, he doesn't know, care about, or do anything with his wife ever. <laughs> in fact, he treats every other woman around as his wife rather than that one. But he's still a good husband, right? <laughs> Would you ever say that? No, it doesn't even make sense. He's clearly a bad person because he's a horrible spouse. Um, take parents and children. If I were a really decent person to everybody else, but horrible to my kids, horrible, abused them, neglected them, never spoke to them, would you consider me to be a good person? Almost certainly not. Why? Because these are my kids. <laughs> if there is anyone I am obligated to take care of as a good person, it's them. <laughs> and yet when we take that same idea of if you're supposed to be a good person, you have to love this person the way they actually are, we seem to ignore that as though God isn't even worth considering in our love. As though we have no obligation to respect him. If we were to make God a human being and we treated him the same way, everybody would agree, you're being horrible. <laughs> but because we don't care about God, we think it's okay not to care about God. Fact of the matter is, the first three commandments that summarized in the command, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, is the most important commandment. Because that's the most fundamental and most important relationship we have as human beings. With the one who made us, with the one who directs all our lives, fills them with good things, cares for us every step of our life. If you can't care about him, what kind of person are you? Um, and that's basically, as Luke says, as Jesus says in Luke, the standard of what makes you a good or a bad person. You have to both love God, not just here and there, by the way, but the way he deserves to be loved. Your whole heart, your whole strength, your whole mind. And also love everybody else the same way you love yourself. That's the standard. Now, of course, that leaves us... So there's, there's the big thing, first of all, to lay out. When we're talking good, what makes a person good? Granted, there might be all kinds of ways in purely our human relationships, we might passably call somebody else a fairly decent person. We're going to circle back to this and see, is that really all that accurate? But at least on the face of it, we could probably get away with it for now. But when you talk about, are we a good person really, in terms of our most important relationships, the standard always has to be, 
um, do you actually love God? Because if you don't, you aren't. Now, that being said, how good of a person are we? Let's turn it away from what makes a person good to say, so therefore, if this is the standard, love God and love others. How am I doing? Am I a good person? Let's go to Romans chapter 3 and at least see what God seems to think about how well we measure up to this. You're Lutherans, so you know where this is probably going. But uh, three, let's go with verse 20 through 24. I have commas separating all of these on your sheet. I want to read them separately and take a break and talk about each one of them first. So verses tw- Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 24. Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, a righteousness, but now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption. All right, there we have the setup of the two most important points in this uh, whole discussion about what makes a person good and am I a good person. One way of judging whether you're a good person, a valid way, is by means of the law. Love God, love others. Problem being, how well does God say you're doing that according to this? Exactly. Everybody has failed tremendously to be a good person. There is no distinction between anybody in God's sight. Not because we're all the same no matter what, but because all of us are in the same exact boat. We are all not good people. Why? Because we do not love God with all our heart, soul, body, and mind. And let's be honest... (laughs) How loving are you really to other people? We think that we're doing okay. We're going to come back to this a lot more um, later. But the fact of the matter is, when you really hear what God is saying when he says, love others as yourself, most of the time we love others because we love ourselves. Not because we love them the same way we love ourselves. Why does my child obey a lot of what I say. Sure, sometimes they love, they respect me, and they do what I say. But do you want to know why Clara listens to me sometimes? Because she knows that it will be better for her to do what I say. Because I've taught her that not doing what I say is going to get her punished, and she doesn't like to be punished. So by dint of being forced and wanting to avoid that bad consequence, She'll do it. Um, Or sometimes she'll do it because she figures, if I do it, then I'll also get something positive out of it, right? (laughs) I'll eat my veggies, Dad. Not because you told me to and I said, Dad, do 
You are wise. <laughs> I respect you. And I am perfectly happy to deny myself out of confidence that you, as God's representative in my life, are worthy of obedience. No, it's because I say, if you eat it all, you'll get dessert. <laughs> yes, dessert! <laughs> Is that love of her father? I mean, it's not to say she doesn't love her father in some emotional way. She obviously does. But... A huge part of the motive is not me and her love for me, but herself and her love for herself. Most of our interactions with other people have that mingled in. We love others not because we actually are devoted to them in a self-giving, I'm going to say no to myself to say yes to you kind of way, but I'm going to say yes to you as a way of saying yes to me. We don't actually even end up being all that good in our relationship towards others. We're kind and friendly because we like people to be kind and friendly to us. <laughs> we, uh, not all the time, but very often. Um, all kinds of different things. It's not to say that's only what we do, but it's a lot of times what we do. Which is to get to the point that we are obviously not as good a people as we think we are. Not even in our inner human relationships, and certainly not in our relationship to God. And, and so God's judgment against us is this. You're not good people. Get over that idea about yourselves. You are not good people. Um, but here's the other half of this very, very, very important set of verses, which is, same theme that's hit over and over and over again in the New Testament. Does that mean that we are bad, evil, worthless, not good in God's eyes? Strangely enough, no. Because, as Romans 3 lays out, fortunately there is another standard than our behavior that God uses to count whether we are good in his sight or righteous, if we want to use the more theological, biblical word. And what is that? As it says. The righteousness from God. Not the righteousness in us, but a righteousness, a goodness that comes to us from God has been revealed apart from the law, apart from this standard of be helpful, be kind, be merciful, be all of these other things, and above all, love God and devote yourself to him. That standard, as we uh, see, is, a, or rather, this goodness, this righteousness, this willingness to count you as acceptable, worthwhile, and good from God comes to us through the grace of God given in Jesus Christ. Um, which is why he says, by the standards of our measurements of the law, about whether a person is acting good, thinking good thoughts, having good, appropriate feelings, all have sinned, all far, far short of the glory that God calls you to be. You are not good people. But what comes as a free gift? Justification comes freely by his grace through the redemption of Jesus Christ. Justification, by the way, 
big um, theological word that means God counts you and declares you as righteous, or to use the uh, simpler word we're using here, good. God decides to count you as good. Not because you have been good, but because Jesus has done a good thing for you. Find out more about that in verse 25 and 26. Somebody want to read that? Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation Propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of them which believeth in Jesus. You grabbed the uh, King James version there, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent translation. A little harder to understand, so uh, for listeners' purposes, I'll just read out of the NIV here, which says the exact same thing in slightly updated language. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now there's a lot we could unpack there, um, but for the interest of focusing on specifically what we're trying to focus on here, the point that uh, Paul is making here is because Christ has come and given up his life for you, paid the penalty due to you for being a bad person, paid the debt you owe to God because you refused to render him the uh, honor, the glory that you owed him, and for that matter, refused to render others the love, the service that you owe them. Jesus paid the, prop, the, the debt you owed. And because of that, God declares you forgiven, righteous, good. When God views you, he views you through, I suppose you could say, Christ-colored glasses, so that when he sees you, he doesn't see all of your sins against the law, not that he's not aware of them, but that he simply chooses to count you um, as good as what Christ has made you. So Christ covers you with his righteousness, his blood pays for your sins, so that now um, God sees you as good. And how do you get that gift from God? How do you, how do you know, or what, what receives this work that Jesus did? So Jesus' atoning work makes you good in God's sight. So what makes you a good person in God's sight? Well, Jesus, not you. You aren't, but Jesus is, and Jesus makes you good in his sight. How do you get the benefits of that? Believe. Believe. Simply believe it. Not by doing a whole lot of things to uh, make up for your failures. Not to be a good person and Jesus will sometimes step in and pick up the bad things where you drop the ball and take care of those, but the rest of it is all you. No, completely, Jesus has done everything, your works, your attempts to be good, which are always utter failures, by the way, do not contribute a thing. It is only, solely by faith. 
This is how uh, we Lutherans like to put it in uh, what we call the, uh, the article of faith that the whole church depends on, by which the church stands or falls. We are justified, that is counted as good, by grace alone. That is, as a free gift of God's favor. On account of Christ alone, because of his work for you. Through faith alone. That is to say, not by your works, but by simply holding and trusting to the idea that Jesus has in fact done this for you. Which is a very good thing, because now you can literally say, I'm a good person. Not because I have been a good person, but because Jesus has been good for me and made me good in God's sight. Which brings us to verses 27 and 28, by the way. Where then is boasting? It is excluded of, on what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. All right. But, so Paul says, so... How, on what grounds do you have to point to yourself and say, see, I've done it. I'm a good person. Can I boast about being a good person? No, it's actually excluded. The only way that you are justified is by trusting in Jesus. Not by, very explicitly Paul says, and even apart from any works done or good works, loving works, following God's law. Um, which, by the way, goes to a nice connection. Uh, whenever you say something like that uh, lady said that you were talking about, where you're saying, well, of course she's okay because she's a good person. God will be okay with her because she's a good person. Paul literally says that kind of talk is excluded. It's out of place. It's inappropriate. Because what are you doing when you say she'll be okay because God, she's a good person? You're boasting about her. As though her good works have made her a good person in God's sight. When Paul says, on the one hand, it's simply false. She is not a good person. She may have been less overtly bad in your eyes. But there is no difference between her and everybody else in God's eyes. She is a sinner. Not a good person. And by the way, that also is excluded on the basis of the fact that it, by boasting about those things, we actually undermine Christ. We cut him out of the deal, so to speak, by saying it wasn't him that did it for me, <laughs> or at least not all of it. It was a, at least a lot of it, or at least a little bit me. So the very fact that... God views us as good because of Christ. That it is only the grace of, this, of Christ's work for us that makes us good in God's sight means, um, on the one hand, that it is all the more true that our own works cannot help it. And on the other hand, that if we try to put our works forward, we're actually denying Christ and incidentally showing that we don't really love God the way he ought to be loved. Um... Any questions about that? That's our basic Lutheran premise. So, presumably, you're okay with that. The law shows our sins and our unworthiness and our lack of goodness. The gospel shows us Christ 
who is our Savior, who does everything for us. I think being Lutheran and, and you know, basically ignoring works is, is, is easy just because if you have faith, you can't help but have works. So really, if you, if you, can, if you can name all your works, chances are you don't have faith. Sure. Because if you have the faith, works are just going to come Happen. from you whether you even know it or not. Right. And we're going to come to that in just a minute because that's really what we're driving for. Um, this idea that it's not as though this, uh, this immediately raises the objection, of course. Paul literally says, um, we, are be we become good apart from our works. <laughs> um, which raises immediately the question, so what does it matter <laughs> if I do good or not? Do I have to? Why? What if can't I just do what I wanted to do in the first place? If I'm a bad person, I'll just keep on being bad because it a I like it. B doesn't matter. Um, uh, Bill already gave us the big spoiler. Of course, is when you believe, it naturally will happen. But uh, we do need to uh, deal with that issue a little more forcefully. On the one hand, because it's so common to think uh, my sin was no big deal, my lack of good works is no big deal because Christ has me. On the one hand, and on the other hand, uh, well, there's a, as we'll see, there's a lot of other weird little issues that people can get into their heads about this. For instance, they view that, well, good works will just happen if I have faith. So I have faith. So I'll just sit around, watch Netflix all day until my faith leads me to spill out in good works. Because <laughs> it'll just happen automatically, right? <laughs> um, so we're going to come to all of that, but Bill's point here is basically the heart of this. Um, Paul summarizes Bill's point in the very next, in the verse 31. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? That is to say, do we just mean that there's no point to being good, that, that, that Christians don't have to be good and won't be good, or that there's no place for God telling us to be good now that God has made us good through Jesus? Um, Paul's answer is, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. That is to say, because we have faith, we then actually value, respect, and even do the law. Well, how does that work? How does Christ coming down and atoning for our sins and making us good, and by the way, it's a very important and very valid thing to say, um, we are only good because of Jesus, and really that is all that matters. <laughs> um, all the rest has nothing to do with being good in God's sight. The only thing that has to do with being good in God's sight is Christ's work for us and our reception of Christ's work for us by simply trusting in it. And as we'll see, of course, and as we already know, even that trust in us is not something we cultivated ourselves. That's something God produces in us by promising to do all this for us. But... Um, Circling back to the big question here. So if, if that's true, if, God, if that's what makes us good in God's sight, how does God, Christ atoning for us and making us good in God's sight um, lead us to do what Paul says and uphold the law or do good? 
Um, well, on the one hand, like Paul, the simple statement is what uh, Bill said, that if once you have faith, you can't help yourself, you're going to start doing what God wants. On the very simple premise that if I trust God and I love him, presumably I'll want to do what he says, right? But let's go to the uh, scriptures for a, a more, uh, just as a con way to found what Paul, Bill asserts here and say that Bill is exactly right. First John chapter 4. Verses 7 through 11 and 19 through 21. Somebody want to read those for us. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. All right, we'll pause right there before reading 19 through 21. Just to illustrate, first of all, that uh, 1 John here is writing almost the exact same thing, but in different words, that uh, Paul was, the point Paul was trying to make. Um, love comes from God to us. Um, it's love, the kinds of thing, love that we're talking about, isn't the thing that we produced and started having towards God. It's that uh, God's we love because God loved us. And the way God loved us was by sending Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Same exact argument Paul makes in Romans chapter 3, where he basically asserts, um, we don't love, we were unloving, we sinned, fell short of the glory of God, but God loved us, gave us the free gift of grace of Jesus to atone for our sins. And then as God does this to us, as God does loving, helpful things for us of this sort, makes us acceptable, gives us the gift of eternal life, forgiveness, and all of that. What is the result that it has on us that John says? Verse 11, what Bill just read. We also ought to love one another. Um... Or as verse uh, 7 puts it, um, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Why? Because God gave birth to that loving person by loving that person. We become different kinds of people once God starts to love us. Um, as God gives us this gift, it changes your heart. It actually transforms you. So not only does God give you the gift of saying, I consider you to be good people because Jesus has atoned for you. It doesn't leave us as the same people before. It's not as though, oh, we're now exactly the way we were before, except I have this little item of knowledge up in my head now that Jesus forgives me. It's that having that forgiveness transforms my heart into a, being a different kind of person who starts to actually love God 
for the very first time in my life. Because everything else I may have felt towards God or whatever I called God before was simply not what God was desiring. But now that God does this, my heart is transformed so that it is, begins to be capable of loving God and loving other people. And so John says, therefore, of course, you ought to love other people. Now that God's love has given birth to you, a loving person. By the way, just as a kind of historical aside, Luther made the same point in this Heidelberg disputation of himself, where he said, the love of man, or I mean, the love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. That is to say, it's not as though God looked down at the world as we were doing our awful things and said, man, I love these buggers despite it all. <laughs> they're just amazing. Down in their hearts, they're good people. No, he didn't look and find something to love, which is, by the way, how human love works by and large prior to the coming of Christ. We love things that are pleasing to us, right? Why did I marry my wife? Um, she, she made me feel a certain way. All kinds of good things that um, I thought were worthwhile. God looked at us and saw nothing particularly worthwhile, but made it worthwhile by counting it worthwhile. Um, you might think of us almost like money. Money, is it worth much when you think about it as it is in its own right? If, you, if there was just a dollar bill on the table and no society around that decided it was worth something, would you look at that and say, oh my gosh, I got a Benjamin Franklin here. It'd just be kindling. It'd just be kindling. <laughs> Maybe you like the picture on it. <laughs> but aside from a fairly interesting likeness of good old Benjamin Franklin and some nifty designs on it, there's nothing about it that's all that worthwhile. It's just a piece of paper and ink. What makes it worthwhile, what makes it worth anything, is that we come along, well, we created it, but we consider it worth something. And it's our fact of considering it worth something that makes it worth anything. People are exactly the same. It's not that we are inherently worthwhile. We were sinners. We were not good. But God comes along and decides to count us as worth something, and even worth dying for through Christ. And suddenly, we become worthwhile. And that transforms us from being, I suppose you might say, kindling from the fire of the hill, into... <laughs> hey, that's one of those candles that adds up. <laughs> it does. Um, into people who actually start living as though they are well-suited for heaven. Um, does that make sense? Well, I think as, as we have faith in Christ, uh, and the love of Christ starts filling our heart, on the backside is pushing out all the hatred and everything else that's in our heart. So eventually, you know, if we keep filling it, it's, uh, we're going to have a lot less on that backside, the dark side of it. Well, and that's, that's the hope, for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, that's an important point to come to that we're going to come to in a minute too. That it's not we don't want to go so far and say once we become Christian, once we have this experience of grace, we suddenly become perfectly attuned to God's will. We become completely transformed in such a way as we are always doing good all the time and loving others 
perfectly all the time. There are Christians who actually assert that. Um, Not quite. Um, some of those people assert that. I'm talking about what you, I guess we would call the holiness movements, the people who teach that at some point in your life, when you really come to a full appreciation of, the, of Christ's grace for you, what they'll sometimes call a baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will be entirely sanctified. Um, Church of the Nazarene teach this, where you are literally free from sin. You might make poor decisions owing to faulty knowledge, but you don't sin anymore in the sense of unless you freely choose it, which is a bad problem, but you can be entirely from that point perfect, good, absolutely keeping the law in this lifetime. <laughs> um, you know, people with common sense are no more than that, you know. Well, it's just to say, if you know people who aren't like that, that's obviously because they haven't had the, the full second birth of the Holy Spirit. Um, how, uh, we could talk, how, it, how could they deceive themselves about that so much as though they don't recognize that they're not exactly as loving as they still think, as they'd like to be? That's a whole, we could t spend a whole other Bible study on that kind of stuff. Um, my point to raise them is just to say, we don't go that far because Scripture actually doesn't go that far. As we're going to see, um, while it transforms us and starts pushing the bad stuff out, it doesn't, on this side of heaven, ever completely push the bad stuff out. And so there's always going to be this struggle, which as we'll come to see when we get to that point, does start to imply there's an active component here where I don't just sit there and watch Netflix and wait for the Holy Spirit to suddenly make me perfect <laughs> automatically. Um, it actually involves all of my faculties in actively working towards these things. But uh, we'll come to that in a little later. Let's sharpen up this point that um, when God declares us righteous, he also, it's not just a legal fiction, that is to say where he, he says something we all know isn't true, that you're not actually even, that you're, you're not and you're never going to be even remotely good. He, uh, he declares you righteous out of grace, but that declaration also starts to actually make you righteous in your life and the way you live. Not completely, as we'll see. It makes you start to be a good person by giving you a new heart. But key of this to remember, God is the one who does this um, as a consequence of atoning for your sin in Christ and justifying you. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter, well, actually, verse, uh, well, we'll skip that for now. We'll go to Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, since that would just make, the other part of John will just kind of make the same point. But Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 10. This is a favorite one for uh, pastors to hit on because it's, it gets the point across so very well. Somebody want to read that for us. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. All right, so very clearly saying what we've already said. You were dead in trespasses and sins, but how is it that you're good in God's sight? Because um, as a free gift of grace, God made you righteous through Christ, declared you innocent, righteous, and good, um, justified you. So God creates you. Um, that last verse, we could even summarize all of this. And again, emphasizing not by your works so that no one may boast, and this free gift of grace is received by faith, which, by the way, faith isn't your work, he explicitly says. Even that faith is a gift of God. It's something God created inside of you. Um, it's not that you decided to follow Christ. It's that Christ um, created within you what you feel is a decision to follow Christ. Faith is a thing God makes in you where you trust his work for, of doing this for you. Um, and what the immediate result is that is that as God creates you into this justified person, makes you into this new thing, um, he creates, verse 10, or the last verse there puts it this way. Um, you are God's workmanship, that is, you're a result of what he created in Christ Jesus. For what purpose, by the way? To do good works. So, God creates you uh, by his grace into this new living being who uh, lives as God's beloved child. And uh, one of the big purposes for that is that so you go out and you actually start doing good things. You start loving other people and loving God. And by the way, who prepared those good works in advance? So even when you're doing those good works, it's actually God is the one who... Um, laid out the plan and purpose of what you are to be accomplishing. God obviously is the driving force, not only in your goodness to him, but in your goodness to others here. And the key thing we're trying to emphasize here at this point is that uh, the result of Christ's grace in you is that you start being a good person. Um, by the way, that act of be, the subsequent act of being a good person is not what makes you good in God's sight. I want to be very clear about this. It is not the good works you start doing after God has made you this Christian that make you good in God's sight. What makes you good in God's sight was Christ's work done to you, not the good works that you subsequently start to do. Okay? Very important point. But nonetheless, the result, one of the results of God loving you is, like 1 John says, he makes you into a loving person. Like Ephesians put, one of the results of God creating you into a living, breathing, uh, righteous per person that he considers to be righteous is that you actually start doing good to other people. And that's one of the reasons, or one of the, I shouldn't say the reasons, it's one of the goals he has in mind. That now that he has made you a good in his sight, you will go out and start being good to others. Okay? Um, 
I'll just turn to Luke 6 and we'll, put it, we'll end it there. This is the uh, famous statement about why we do good works, and this is a great way to summarize what, we're say- what John says about how now that God has loved us, it made us into loving per- people. Um, and more to the point, what Bill said about once you have faith, you just start doing good things. Jesus says, Luke 6, 43 to 45, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. The basic point here is, when you're a good tree, what are you, of course, going to do? (laughs) You produce good fruit. Um... When God has made you good in his sight and you start to have faith and this new heart that he gives you, regeneration is the uh, formal theological term we like to do, to use for this, where uh, on top of considering you righteous, he actually gives, regenerates your heart so that you start to fear, love, and trust him and start to love other people. The result is that now that you have this new heart, you're naturally going to start doing good things. And like uh, Bill pointed out at the beginning, if you don't start doing good things, if you only produce evil things at the end of it all, what does it indicate about what's going on inside? That there's probably something deficient with the faith in the first place. Um, But the key emphasis we're making here is that, of course, good works will flow out of faith. Because faith... Is, the, is something that happens in, as a result of God loving you in Christ and making known his love for you by making you a good, good in his sight and declared righteous. Um, and of course, it will necessarily flow out into you having new affections, new attitudes, and even new behaviors, both toward God and toward other people. Now, uh, it's, that doesn't mean that it's all... Uh, well, we'll deal with the specifics of how that plays out in the uh, next time, or we'll start to. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.